Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today is Archbishop William E. Laurie of Baltimore, and we will be talking today about Christmas memories and significant events of 2017 as we close the year. Welcome to the show, Archbishop Laurie. Thank you very much, Chris. Good to be with you and with all of our listeners. Yeah, this is your show, of course, at Catholic Baltimore. Um, but let's start by talking a little bit about some of your Christmas memories from when you were a youngster growing up. Where you had, Did you have any favorite family traditions? Well, um, we did. Um, I think that uh, we did not do the big Italian meal on the night before, um, but like many families, I think uh, going to midnight mass was really the highlight uh, of of our Christmas. And in, in the parish I grew up in, we had a particularly beautiful choir, and it was really a memorable event. Even when you were a kid when I was a kid it was just beautiful and uh, then we would come home and uh, we would exchange presents right then oh that's nice and uh, it was terrific and of course mom would always uh, cook another Thanksgiving meal on Christmas and uh, then we would go visit relatives and of course uh, visiting grandma and grandpa was Christmas all over again so I, re- I have very happy memories of, of Christmases, and I'm happy to say, as old as I am, that uh, I've never missed celebrating a Christmas with my parents. That's uh, pretty amazing. Since, in my whole life. Since you don't live in the same city and have it for have a while. I've always flown home on Christmas Day. I managed to get there by Christmas night, and uh, during dinner, uh, my head is pretty much in the soup mm-hmm. because, you know, you're a little tired at, sure. at the end of Christmas. But just to be uh, at home and just to be with my parents at Christmas is, is, is a great gift. It's really special that you're able to still do that with them. Yeah. As you've grown older and wiser, has the meaning of Christmas changed for you? I don't know that I've grown particularly wiser, but I certainly have grown older. Um, and, and I would have to say that, um, that uh, when I was a kid, of course, the things you would get for Christmas um, occupied pride of place. You, you never admitted that, but getting the bicycle, getting the G.I. Joe, and the, the granddaddy of them all was something called the invisible, cha- the visible chassis, which was... Um, um, putting together a plastic replica of a car chassis. That was the gift of gifts. And the wonderful things that mom and dad would give me. But as I've grown older, uh, it is clearly the feast itself. It's clearly celebrating the incarnation of the Savior, uh, the advent of salvation, the welcoming of Jesus into the world and into our hearts and homes. That is really 
the joy of Christmas. And I experienced that transformation very profoundly my first Christmas as a priest in 1977 when I said Mass for the first time on Christmas. It put it in such beautiful relief. And mm-hmm. since then... Uh, because not only are you talking about the incarnation, but you're bringing the bread and wine, transubstantiating that into the real presence of Christ my, right on the altar. My thoughts exactly. And my thoughts every Christmas since. And so when I say Mass at the... Uh, well, this year at St. Joe's in, in, in Cockeysville mm-hmm. at 4 o'clock and then 10 o'clock at the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen and the next morning at the Basilica of the Assumption. That's exactly what runs through them through my mind. It's making Jesus incarnate again. Uh, he came in his smallness, littleness, in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago. He comes to us in the Eucharist, in the smallness, the insignificance of a little bread and wine mm-hmm. made into his body and blood by the power of the Spirit. That's a great thing to celebrate. Sure is. But these days, more and more Catholics, uh, probably a lot of people more than we'd like, uh, come to church only on Christmas or Easter, um, and they just don't really kind of, they aren't there all the time for us. How can the church welcome them and be a place where they want to come back more often. How can priests, how can our parish priests, how can we as people in the pews welcome those who are who are with us for that feast and maybe they're not there next Sunday? First of all, I'm glad to see them. Thank goodness they come at Christmas and Easter. Sure. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to preach the gospel in a way that might connect with them. It's an opportunity to extend a warm welcome It's an opportunity not only for the priest, but also for the regular parishioners who attend every week to welcome those they don't usually see, even if it means getting displaced from a favorite pew, even if it means you can't find a parking place. We should hope that our parishes would be overrun with people every single week. That's important. We start there. But also when we see all of these people in church and in our gyms and in high school gymnasia and all of that, when we see this, we see our mission field. Mm -hmm. We see the people we need to be engaging as parish families all year long, not just at Christmas and Easter, We can provide a wonderful experience of worship. We can preach the gospel effectively at Christmas and Easter. We can give them an experience of beauty that will draw them again and again. Mm -hmm. But it's in between time that we find ways uh, for missionary disciples in our parish, conversationally, in social settings, in living rooms and family rooms and restaurants and workplaces to engage them, Mm -hmm. to invite them, uh, to welcome them back into the family of the church um, in ways that are appropriate, accompanying them back into the life of the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's, That's what I think when I see all those people. 
who come. And if they're already there for Christmas and Easter, at least they're, they've got a connection that we can build upon. I won't say it's low-hanging fruit. That's mm-hmm. always, that's usually an overly optimistic phrase. Um, many, many of these individuals, however, do self-identify as Catholics. Mm-hmm. In many instances, they follow the guidance of the church in thinking about the issues of the day, they would turn to the church in time of crisis or trouble. So there are already connections upon which to build. Others who come might be more distant. Some might be estranged from the church, but they come anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to meet people where they are. We have to... Uh, meet them not in judgment or in harshness, but to listen to them, understand them, try to see things from their perspective, and then see where the intersection is between the God of Jesus Christ and their life and also the church. And this plays well into the, the pastoral planning that's underway because that you focus that all on the church being a light brightly visible to everyone in the community mm-hmm. and to helping those of us in the pews to be missionary disciples and go out and bring people to, closer to Christ, right? That's exactly what it's about. So it's not just about consolidating or downsizing or reorganizing or any of those things. It is first and foremost about marshalling our resources, uh, our spiritual resources, our resources, our precious resources of, of, of missionary disciples and, and parishioners, our clergy. It's about marshalling our material resources for mission mm-hmm. and for transforming uh, our communities into outward-looking mission centers. Go out and meet people where they are and, and, and bring them back. That is exactly what Pope Francis wants us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the foundational document of his papacy, by his own telling, is Evangelii Gaudium, the joy of the gospel. And if you read that, it's about missionary conversion, it's about encountering Jesus, encountering one another in the Lord, It's about going out into the peripheries. It's about accompanying people. It's also about welcoming people home. Mm -hmm. Home to the Lord, home to the church, home to their baptismal birthright, and also home for those who are searching. Maybe they don't know they're searching, but they are. We're going to take a break here. After the break, we'll be back talking more with Archbishop Lori about the year that just ended and looking forward to his hopes for 2018. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. News from Vatican City via the newsroom of the Catholic Review. Pope Francis advanced the sainthood causes of Holy Cross Father Patrick Payton, which involved study done by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, and St. John Paul II's mentor, Cardinal Stefan Wyszynski. The Pope approved the decrees recognizing their heroic virtues during an audience December 18th with Cardinal Angelo Amato, Prefect of the Congregation for Saints' Causes. Father Payton, known worldwide as the Rosary Priest, was a Catholic media pioneer in the 1940s. 
He had two especially famous mottos, the family that prays together stays together, and a world at prayer is a world at peace. He died in 1992. In November 2008, his cause for sainthood was moved from the Diocese of Fall River, Massachusetts, to the Archdiocese of Baltimore. A summary of documentation was completed in 2014 for the cause. After the Pope's decree recognizing his heroic virtues, in general, a miracle is needed for Father Peyton's beatification and a second one for his canonization. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Christopher Gunty. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. The season of sacraments is nearly here. First Holy Communion, Confirmation, and Weddings. Visit the Baltimore Basilica, America's first cathedral, and stop by the gift shop for all of your gift needs. From beautiful frames to crucifixes and crosses, statues and one-of-a-kind rosaries, the Basilica gift shop has it all. Friendly, knowledgeable staff members can help you select the perfect gift. Also available, Baltimore's very own Mouth Party Caramels, locally designed hand-painted signs and jewelry, plus gifts for Easter as well as an extensive line of St. Patrick's Day items sure to bring out the Irish in everyone. Visit the Basilica Gift Shop at 409 Cathedral Street in Baltimore or call 410-727-3565 for hours and directions. Free street parking available directly in front of the Basilica between 9.30 and 4 p.m. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're back and we're looking back at the year of 2017 with Archbishop William E. Laurie of Baltimore. And we're looking forward to 2018. Now looking back on this year, we had a couple of major losses in the Church of Baltimore uh, with the deaths of Cardinal William Keeler and Bishop William Newman. What effect did these men have on the Church of Maryland and how will they be missed? Uh, Cardinal Keeler and Bishop Newman were great, great leaders in both church and, and in society. Very different individuals, but great each in their own way. So I, I, I knew Cardinal Keeler uh, long before I came to Baltimore. I knew him when I was a young priest in Washington. And Cardinal Keeler was a man of tremendous vision, energy, and with a tremendous ability to knit relationships and to make friendships for the church. And so the longer I'm here in Baltimore, the more I see the fruit of his work. I think about his warm relationship with the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. And whenever I visit the Associated and we talk about 
our role in serving the poor of the community, uh, inevitably the figure of William Cardinal Keeler comes up. I think about Partners in Excellence, helps us to educate many, many young people from disadvantaged neighborhoods in the city of Baltimore in our Catholic schools. I think about Cardinal Keeler's uh, vision. I walk into the Basilica, uh, restored in such a way that Benjamin Henry Latrobe would recognize his masterpiece, I think of Cardinal Keeler. In so many ways, uh, he was uh, a great leader. So many people, all these years later, will tell me about their friendship with Cardinal Keeler, how he touched their lives, how he was incredibly thoughtful, a letter here, a phone call there. Mm-hmm. And you wonder how he found the time to do all of this while at the same time um, being the president of the uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops in the United States, while at the same time participating in the Orthodox dialogue on the international level and being of great service to Pope St. John Paul II. Mm-hmm. Cardinal Keeler uh, is deeply missed, but um, he continues to be also deeply esteemed. I've also known Bishop Newman for many, many years. Um, And Bishop Newman um, is the quintessential Baltimorean. He grew up in Baltimore, had a wonderful Baltimore accent, came from a wonderful Baltimore family, and began his ministry in Baltimore at St. Elizabeth of Hungary, if memory serves. And I think the pastor in those days was Bishop Sebastian. Bishop Newman was in and of Baltimore. He knew well the culture. He knew all the stories. He knew the priest in and out. He knew the leaders of our community in and out. Very low-key, very humble, very self-effacing, but what a great leader. For example, the Cathedral of Mary, our queen, where he was pastor, Mm -hmm. or the leader of our Catholic schools, where he knit uh, ties and bonds of affection and mission with the teachers, especially with the religious. I was struck by his wonderful relationship with the religious women in the archdiocese. I always knew that, but it was demonstrated abundantly at his funeral, which was on Memorial Day of last Mm -hmm. year. And I looked out, and I saw so many religious sisters in the congregation, and I realized, my gosh, he he um, created wonderful, warm friendships with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this beautiful conversation with uh, Bishop Newman just two days before he died. I went out to uh, to Mercy and uh, Mercy to Stella and sat down with him, and uh, the bishop talked to me about his life and his ministry. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was saying farewell. But he sort of summed up in a very beautiful way what his experience as a priest had meant, how much he loved Baltimore, how much he loved the archdiocese and its priests and people. And there was this wonderful, beautiful sense of wholeness, completeness, and peace at the end of his life. 
That's how we should all want to be when it's time to go. That is the way to go. Yeah. Now, you have, we had some good news, though, this year. You got two new auxiliary bishops, and they were ordained in January. How are they helping your ministry? Oh, my gosh. What a, what a gift from Pope Francis to the Church of Baltimore. Um, first of all, Bishop uh, Parker, whom we all know, a, a native son of the Archdiocese, he was already helping me immensely as vicar general and moderator of the Curia. Uh, for those who don't know what those titles mean, it's a little bit like uh, a CEO having a COO, mm-hmm. kind of a chief operating officer. And that already helps you focus on the bigger things that mm-hmm. you need to look at. Um, but uh, in addition, now as auxiliary bishop, um, I see Bishop Parker reaching out, going to regional meetings of priests, confirming, Mm -hmm. saying Mass in parishes, and helping extend, uh, now as a bishop, um, the pastoral vision of the archdiocese, expressed in light, brightly visible, in a beautiful, wonderful, life-giving way. Mm -hmm. Bishop Brennan, he comes to us from the Archdiocese of Washington, knew him for years. Mm-hmm. We knew each other as seminarians. And um, this is a wonderful, humble, very talented uh, bishop, a little bit older but young in spirit, mm-hmm. a quick study. He's always loved Baltimore, as I have mm-hmm. since we were young priests, rooted for the Orioles, still does. Good for him. There you are. There's a qualification. But a man who understands how to do ministry in multicultural settings, Mm -hmm. especially in the Latino, Spanish-speaking community. He was pastor of a huge multicultural parish in the Archdiocese of Washington, St. Martin's in Gaithersburg. Mm -hmm. All that he learned all of those years, he's now bringing to us here in Baltimore. He was also an effective vocations director. So Father Sora... Mm-hmm. Our vocations director now has a new friend and supporter. That's right. For example, uh, earlier uh, this week at, at, we had a day for our seminarians at the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen, a day of prayer and reflection. Bishop Brennan spent the whole day. Oh, that's great. With 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 our men. Uh, so, but there's more good news. Um, Bishop Madden is still on the job. That's right. So he was officially, he's officially retired, but he's anything but retired. Mm-hmm. He serves as urban vicar. Uh, talk about a man of friendship. Talk about a man who, whom everyone loves and trusts. It's Bishop Madden. And he makes my ministry a joy. In fact, they all do. We have just a little bit of time left uh, to talk about um, maybe some of the challenges that are facing us. But also I'd like to hear your Christmas message for for the people in Maryland? My Christmas message is very simple. Jesus has come to us, assumed our humanity, become one of us. And he has confided to each of us the good news, and he has made the church the instrument of proclaiming his good news. Uh, My prayer, my hope at Christmas, is that we will truly unite as a community of faith in the city of Baltimore, across the nine counties, in, and we will unite in accepting, living, and proclaiming the good news. 
and we are sent to do this. And if we do this with renewed vigor throughout the year 2018, what a blessed year it will be. That's right. As we welcome the, the child Jesus to us here at Christmas, we have to remember that he's calling us to be with him all the time. It's not just a feel-good feast. It's a challenging feast. If we rise to the challenge and the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, this church will take on new vitality. It might be the oldest archdiocese in the United States, but it should have the youngest heart. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today, Archbishop Lurie. This is a look back at 2017 and hopes for Christmas. And you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. You and your family are invited to join Archbishop William Laurie for Mass at 10 p.m. on Christmas Eve at the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen and at 10 a.m. at the historic Basilica in downtown Baltimore Christmas Day. There will be beautiful music and uplifting preaching. Whether you attend Mass regularly or only a few times a year, everyone is welcome. Visit archbalt.org for more information or for a list of parishes near you. Have a blessed and Merry Christmas. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.